0: This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com thecitadelcafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is The Citadel Cafe, episode number 477, for Wednesday, February 7, 2024. My name is Joel Duggan, and The Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about all the geeky stuff that we are into. It's available on any podcast platform, so if you're listening to this somewhere, you can subscribe just about anywhere. Joining me this week, Stephen is back, Stephen ESC, on all the social media that matters. Welcome back, my friend. Good evening to you, sir. Good evening, good evening. I am full of pasta, as we were discussing just a few months ago. <laughs> yes. uh, one of those days where the uh, day job and the working out and the evening podcasting all kind of bleed into one schmoosh. And uh, here I sit, <laughs> ready to record and ready to chat. But uh, yes. if I'm a little slow on like remembering names <laughs> or <laughs> or coming up with things to talk about, then uh, I Lame I, apo- the I apologize. You know, but speaking of carbs, that's actually what I've been doing with my nerdy time the last couple of weeks. I've talked about this a little bit on the Render Distance, which is the extended version of the Spawn Chunks podcast that I do about Minecraft. Uh, our patrons get like an extra 20 to 30 minutes of audio every week. Similar to the brisket here, I've been baking my own bread. I got a cookbook Ooh, for nice. Christmas called Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast by Ken Forkish. It's an older book, but it came really highly recommended by some people on... TikTok. And nice. I found myself on Bread Talk, as it's called, and <laughs> did a little bit of research, found a book, put it on my Christmas list, and that's what I
1: got. Sometimes you can't go wrong with those older books, though. It's just like if they're, if they've been around for a while, but they're just. Yeah, they're tried like, and true. Tried, right? tested, true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Nice. Right. So um, that to me uh, was a good place to start. And I'm looking forward to more. It was a little bit difficult at first. I. Mm-hmm did not realize it, but despite the fact that the date on my yeast was good, the yeast was in fact, not good. And so a couple of recipes I tried were flops and I was like, okay, I've done this twice now. I'm not good at this, I'm new to this, so i don't know if it's me that's going wrong but there's one thing that i can try for a couple of bucks the next time i'm walking by the grocery store i'll just get brand new yeast and if that works yeah. i'll just turf the rest because i buy the little like sealed packets like if i have to throw it out it's like two bucks i don't care oh,
1: really so the little packets went bad
0: uh yeah so i don't know what happened I, my guess is that maybe it was stored incorrectly or maybe it had a hole in it like i don't know right who knows right so i i threw it out and i just went with the new stuff and With the new stuff, I was very diligent about putting it like after I opened up the packet, I didn't use the whole packet, but I put it in like an airtight sealed container with like a date on it. So like I know, I know it's good. And I've used it twice since and it's been fine. And so I've had more success, uh, two flops and two successes. So I, I'm feeling pretty confident in that now that the yeast has been corrected. Uh, my, uh, my method I think is, is better. The second time, the second flop is actually wasn't because the yeast was bad it was um it was me going on a timer and sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't and it was about mm-hmm. the long fermentation and this is where the nerdy stuff comes in because <laughs> the barbecue chef and me right is used to monitoring temperature monitoring time uh there's a little bit of an art to barbecue as much as there is you know uh, a uh, a science to it and you know like are your ribs ready well how do you like your ribs there's no time yeah. on that it depends on whether your barbecue is running hot or cold what's the relative humidity that day but really you just you pick the ribs up and if they bend enough to the way that you like them then they're done and it's similar with with dough it's like you you have to let it you know get to triple its size well unfortunately. I don't have the best container for the long fermentation. So I have to eyeball, did it get three times bigger as opposed to having like a tub that had like a measurement on the side where like, this is where it started and this is where it ends. And if your five hours is up and it's not triple, then you just wait longer. And so that's what I had to do this last time around was, uh, I was like, I, this, this looks okay, but this looks like the one that did not do as well. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna I was like, what's the harm of me leaving it an extra hour? I know you can overproof after you shape a loaf, but I was like, can you over ferment? Well, let's find out. And sure enough, <laughs> I waited the extra hour. And when I went back, I was like, okay, now that is triple in size. Like you've got it That's... definitely went bigger after that hour. And so this time around, it was my first time uh using a banneton and my first time with a lathe, which is just a fancy name for a razor with a handle on it. <laughs> and i was able to you know shape a a batard which is an oval loaf instead of a round because the rounds are easy in terms of like put them in any bowl you don't even have to have anything fancy uh to keep them in the shape the problem with them is that they're not the most practical by the time you Mm -hmm. get to the middle of the loaf your slices of bread are ginormous yeah so i mean you can always cut it in half but when you do that it's just going to go stale faster so i've decided that i want to make more like longer you know, cylindrical loaves. And so I had to learn how to shape those. And now that I've done it, I think four times, I'm starting to get a feel for like putting tension on the dough. And it's one of those things where like, you just need to practice, but I, yeah. I really, I really, really enjoy it. It's, It's similar to when I set up the barbecue and how I'm arranging the coals for ribs versus chicken versus something else. And knowing that if I stack the coals, like three high, it's not going to get hot enough, but if I go four high, (laughs) it'll get to a certain temperature. I just have to make sure that I have the right airflow, like knowing how to set that stuff up, like for the fourth and fifth and sixth time is great because then you're not, you're not wondering, you're like, okay, if I do the coals the exact same and I have the wood the exact same and I have roughly the same amount of ribs, then, uh, when I go to control the temperature. Really, the only thing I have to worry about is just messing with the vents, and that and that is something that is tied to like how hot the day is, right? So, when it comes to the the bread, I'm still working out some kinks. This last loaf was tasty, but they're artisan loaves, and they're very thick crusted in terms of this recipe because it's not a super high hydration dough. the 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 ratio of water to flour is not not terribly high.
1: I love how into it you are. You're like. <laughs> I'm not just gonna make bread. I'm going all in on bread, and I'm yeah. not, This is this isn't meant to tease you, but you're just like, why make bread when I can make <laughs> bread and like be just like. Next time we chat about it, it's gonna be. So this week I figured out how to make barbecue bread <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah because i mean all you really need is just like a, a an oven that hits a certain temperature and if the, if the barbecue <laughs> if i want to make bread if i want to make bread in the summertime i can tell you right now i'm not putting my oven inside my apartment up to 475 degrees unless i'm baking at like 6 a.m uh because it's just it's too hot in here to do that and so uh, if i'm doing something like having the barbecue up that high then it would be really interesting to try mm-hmm. a smoky loaf I don't, yeah. I don't think I would have to put the Dutch oven out there. Cause right now I, I haven't tried like an open oven loaf. Everything I've done has been in, inside of a Dutch oven, which just makes for like a a smaller oven inside your oven. And oh,
1: you've been doing these breads in a Dutch oven as well. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've got a, I've got two Dutch ovens. I've got a small, I want to say it's a 10 inch or nine inch. It's probably a nine inch. And it's a four. I think I've got a four quart and a six quart or I've got a six okay. quart and a Eight quart. The, the 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 large one is really large. Like that's a two handed. Like it is a heavy piece of kit, and it was large enough to do the oval loaf in, and the oval loaf didn't touch the sides. So, pretty <laughs> pretty big Dutch oven. Uh, yeah. The little one is it's big enough to do a round, but the round, if it really rises, will probably touch the sides, which is fine. It's not the end of the world. Um, but right now, the issue that I have was. Um, the bottom burned um, on the most recent. I mean, I don't want not ruined burn, but like just like if you burn your toast a little bit in the morning, that's the kind of flavor that was there. And, and it made it really hard to cut through the bottom because the bottom crust is yeah. very thick. And so it, when slicing the bread this time around was a chore, it tasted fine. But it was just like, this is not enjoyable as you're like trying right. to saw through the bottom, <laughs> you know, eighth <laughs> of an inch. This is not
1: my ideal bread no.
0: experience. No, exactly. So I, I know that I can add something like a cookie sheet underneath the Dutch oven, which will help with like the direct heat on the bottom of the Dutch oven, which means it'll, right. it'll unlikely burn. However, the last time I did that, I thought that it was causing me problems with my oven. In terms of the temperature, like I thought it was messing with the ambient temperature in the oven.
1: Is there something you could put inside the Dutch oven that would raise it up off the bottom of that? So you'd have airflow underneath.
0: Oh no, you don't put it, you don't put the uh, cookie sheet under the Dutch oven. So you put it on the rack below. So the, you know, how ovens have two racks oh, usually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So the, the, basically you just put like a heat shield between the hot red element of the oven and the Dutch oven. And it just kind of gotcha. like disperses the heat around the yeah. sides. Same gotcha. thing that you have like a heat plate in a barbecue it does the same thing. So I want to try that again and see if I can't maintain like a, a better crust on the bottom. And I'm looking forward to trying different recipes because really this whole book is just about different ratios of flour, water, salt, yeast, and then also different kinds of fermentation, like, you know, going overnight with it versus Mm -hmm. a five hour fermentation on the counter in the afternoon, like that kind of a thing. So I'll give those a try because I'd like to come up with something that has a slightly thinner crust because this is good, but it's really only good if you toast it or use it for like a grilled cheese. It's pretty hard to get through just on its own. It's right. tasty, but it has like the crust is really thick and chewy, which is yeah. good depending on what you want. But if you want something for like a PBJ or something like that, it's not quite the best. So I'm looking forward to trying different things and I'll report back. I mean, not going to be every week, but I just, as I get into it. It's, it's fun and it's cheap. It's, it's time consuming. Like you have to kind of plan it around your day, but there's a five hour fermentation where you just basically do a whole lot of nothing. So I've been doing that on Sunday. And then while it's, um, on the counter rising, I'm streaming. I'm, you know, I don't have to touch it and then I can bake it that evening. And last Sunday I had homemade soup with bread, but then I had fresh toast for like most of the week. So it worked out well to do it on, on the Sunday. And I think the next trick will be like, can I do two loaves at once? Cause one loaf doesn't quite get me through the whole week. And so if I do two loaves at once, I could cut one up when it's cooled and freeze it, you know, or freeze half of it or something. Right. And go from there. So we'll see, but it's, it's been fun to kind of like get into the details, the nitty gritty of it. I'm sure as things go on, it'll be fun to do like designs and just kind of experiment with that kind of stuff (laughs) once like it's i'm not i'm not going to put all the time and energy into it in case they don't turn out like until they start turning out consistently the way that i want them that i'm not going to start messing around with that too much but uh if i think about it i'll include a couple of snaps uh in the show notes this week on the citadelcafe.com for people that are interested i do have some on my instagram but a lot of them were stories so they're probably long gone by now but uh, do do you guys bake bread in in the house? I feel like you've told me about it before.
1: Uh we used to once once upon a time we used to do. Uh, yeah, for we used to have a bread maker, and so we would do a lot of bread in that. I know it's not by hand, but we used we use that frequently, frequently, and then it actually it broke. So when we stopped, and we we're doing gluten free breads for a while, and that was all you know. Mc, Mixed by hand, hold you know, mixed for four minutes straight, which is actually way harder than it sounds, <laughs> but yeah, we were we did it for a while, but then just as life gets busier, it's just one of those things where you know is this is this worth the time um that we could use towards something else, and so when the the boys were younger and like and when life got busier with the kids, basically, it just became one of those things like, uh, let's gonna buy bread because then one less thing we have to try to squeeze in we have toyed around with the idea of getting a a bread maker again although my wife she makes um she's gluten-free so she makes herself gluten-free loaves mm-hmm. um she used to do it all the time but just as a as of late it's uh it's less frequently but she still makes a really good like a really good uh um gluten-free loaf that when you when you toast it it's uh it's it's dense and crunchy which is a really nice
0: yes yeah the crunchy crunchy combo. over chewy That's what I liked about the structure, the crumb of this Saturday bread, which is the the first recipe in Ken Forkish's book, in that it has, it really crisps up nice. It doesn't brown so much because there's no fat in it, right? Like there's nothing in it. There's no sugar to caramelize. So... You can put it in the toaster and it comes out to the rice crispiness. It just doesn't, it looks just white, which is strange, but it tastes <laughs> like toast. It's, it's not thing. But if you do a grilled cheese with it, which I think is my favorite thing to have with it, it's really, really good because then it really gets golden and it has, it's funny how chewy it is in, in like, in the way that you want it to be when it's untoasted. But then when it's toasted, it's almost like crumbly. It, it, it doesn't have like a. It doesn't get harder when you toast it. It gets easier to eat, which I think is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll try some other stuff and, and report back. I do want to try to find a sandwich bread. Like I, My friend Maria had sent me a recipe, uh, like an old Newfoundland recipe that her mom gave her for just like sandwich bread. And I'll give that a go. And like in Newfoundland, we trust in anyone that I've ever met that, (laughs) you know, is, has like, is a home baker and has like a home recipe for Newfoundland. You, you make that exactly how they tell you to, and it will turn out fantastic. There's probably a lot of butter in it, but that's fine. I, uh, I work out enough that that could be, that could be negated. (laughs) So what's new on your nerdy calendar?
1: Recently, we got a book. Wave Rider, which is book nine in the Amulet graphic novel series. Uh, It just came out yesterday and we had ordered it on, when you order from Indigo, every once in a while, a pre-order book shows up ahead of schedule. So we had it probably four days before it was supposed to come out. And um, like a good little researcher or a good little (laughs) fan of Amulet, I went back and reread all of the initial eight books because it's been a while. Um, to get myself ready for the ninth book when it came out so it's it's uh the first one came out in 2008 this uh, book one the Stonekeeper, and then the next four each kind of came out a year-ish apart and then like two years between each one and then it was a five and a half year hiatus between book eight and book nine um so uh myself and other fans eagerly awaiting that so i was very happy to have that finally come out and uh yeah, it's it's one of those series that I just it's been great all the way through. Uh loved it, loved it. Uh highly recommend it. It's uh the the my only kind of grief with the book is that it starts out semi cliche ish. Like it's just so the main character Emily and her brother Navin and their mother moved to a large old house that used to belong to a cent- to their eccentric great grandfather Silas before he mysteriously disappeared. After their father passed away in a car accident. So they kind of need to move on to, you know, start a new life. And this house happens to have been in the family for years. So it's, it's large. It needs care and attention. They have to clean it. Um, and then of course, as they're doing the cleaning, they or you know, kind of settling into the house. They, uh, discover this strange and wonderful thing. And in this case, it's an amulet. Um, thus the name of the series, Mm -hmm. um, where, yeah, it's in a library where her great grand, uh, where Emily's great grandfather Silas uh, used to work, and she put it on, and then and then everything starts to go like a a creature shows up and kidnaps their mother and takes her downstairs, and then they end up going through this portal that takes them into a new world, and then suddenly they realize they're reluctantly tasked with protecting an entirely new world from from evil kind of thing. So just maybe this was early enough for 2008 was early enough that this was not as cliche at the time, but it just feels like, you know, shows that I've seen like lock and key basically starts this way when they go back to an old family home and ghostbusters afterlife kind of starts the same way. And so it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like as original of a kind of launch into the story as other things, but it's, it's still, it's still well done. And then, but, but as soon as the, kind of once they get past that part where you're like okay you're tasked to do this now sort of whether you want to or not then it it kind of takes it 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 goes off into an original original storyline it's uh a lot of wonderful characters uh so fantasy type characters like elves but then sci-fi characters like robots and hybrid creatures it's it's the drawings are great, the coloring's fantastic. And I feel like book nine was actually well done. It's a good a good solid solid cap to the entire series. So uh yeah.
0: The author and illustrator, uh Kazu kibuishi, I think is how he's pronounced. Yes, it. sorry, thank you. And uh we never got to it, but uh they were on our list on comics coast to coast for an interview. Like we that was oh, that all was of us sweet. would just we had like our dream list of like who would you like to get on the show and Uh, they were one of them and the show just ended up being over before we were able to, to get like work those contacts to, to get in contact with them. So, uh, I was one of my duties on that show was, was reaching out and getting new interviews. And the easiest way to do that was to kind of pull on the threads you already had. And because I was so busy, I wasn't full-time podcasting at the time. Podcasting was still very much a side hustle. And so getting ready for that show was kind of like clamoring to see who the guest was because it was a weekly show and we had like a Uh weekly, yeah, like a weekly guest artist interview the only time it ever got easier when it wasn't the first time we had someone on the show, you know, like the second or third time we had an artist back that made it a lot easier because they knew the drill. We didn't have to start with like, when did you first get into art? Like we could just kind of pick up, just talk about their next project, which meant that they're going to do most of the talking anyway.
1: And you could probably just like cold reach out to them at that point as opposed to having to pull in the strings as oh, well, right?
0: Totally. Yeah. Like once you once they've been on the show and they had a good time, then like it's it's a very easy, hey, do you want to come back? And it's like you you'd see on social media, because you know you'd follow them after the interview and then you'd see them start to promote something new coming out in like a couple of months. So you're just like, hey, like when that comes out, let me know. And we'd love to mm. have you on the show. And you like it's the only thing that we ask of them is their time. And it's just another platform full of, you know, at the time. I think it might've been a couple thousand people listening to the show. It wasn't like gangbusters, but there was certainly enough because Brian Dunaway. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think Brian is still part of the Frog Pants podcasting network. I haven't listened to much from Brian in a long time. He still streams, but because of the tie-ins to Frog Pants, like there's a huge amount of crossover where people that listen to Brian and other Frog Pants stuff would just listen to comics coast to coast just because they thought it was fun. You know, they didn't necessarily have to be artists and stuff. So it was a good, good crossover and it just became... I think everybody just got too busy. You know, like it just—it was one of those shows that didn't end up bringing the revenue in to justify the amount of time that was being spent on it. And right. ultimately all of us had to like focus on other things. You know, Desharm had to focus on his art and his business. Uh, Brian had other podcasting projects that were taking off i don't remember i don't think i was still doing comics coast to coast when i started the spawn chunks i think that was over i think that's why i had room for the spawn chunks because i d- i had one podcast leave my weekly schedule and right so it made a lot of sense to do that but yeah it's it's been it's been a while i um i'm glad to see that amulet has continued on though because i i heard good things
1: oh so you've not read i didn't read any of the books no
0: i've not read any of them
1: but well, uh perhaps at some point we could uh let you uh lean on our library of books a little bit
0: Peyton when I saw him on New Year's gave me back a bunch of books that I had forgot that I had loaned him, and they were all um the ink books, the sketchbooks from Jake Parker oh and nice, and a couple of the sketchbooks from Derek lofman, and when I got them back, I was like, oh cool, like I I obviously I didn't miss them because I, I don't leave through them all that often. But I thought to myself, like, oh, these are back. And I, the next thing, because of the style of both of these artists, I thought, I bet you Steven would like to borrow these.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we can do a trade or something. Yeah,
0: before I put them back on my shelf, I was like, mental note, I'll just see if Steven wants these before I put them away. <laughs> so they're in my living room right now, actually.
1: And and Kazuki Buishi, is, uh, thank you for mentioning his name. I meant to mention it at the beginning of the discussion, but he's... Reading through the first couple books of Amulet when we did, not that I've ever drawn or written a graphic novel before, but it basically made me go, I want to make one of these. And every time I read the next book, I really want to make one of these. And so it's... I, I hope to get to it at someday. It's like on my life uh, life bucket list to do a graphic novel. So I don't know if I'll ever get to that one, but it's just every time I read through it, it's just... Like I said, the artwork's so good, the colors are so good, the story's solid and and there's there's things in book one that get referenced in book nine and book two get referenced in book seven, so it just it keeps going back yeah. and forth like it's just a well a well planned out tale and uh I could only hope to do something like this at some point so and no, was really we really enjoyed it.
0: I have Jake Parker's graphic novel here too, or I one of them he could have done more since then, but uh skyheart. Have you seen that property? It's I
1: kind of, I haven't, no.
0: It's It has like a future tech, lots of cloud flying, flying whales with like little cyborg bits on them and stuff. The main character has oh, yeah. like a red fox kind of look. You've probably seen it. Oh. If you follow him in social media, you've probably seen bits of it as he shares designs and stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I have seen the fox character.
0: Nice. I've got that here too. I've got a hardcover one. Uh, I think he signed it actually, if you want to borrow it.
1: That'd be awesome. Thank you.
0: Moving on to what we have been watching this week, I have been on a little bit of a documentary and talky roundtable kick. Some of these qualify <laughs> as like podcasts, but I I've been watching them as opposed to listening to them when I'm walking around. I do have more podcasts on my list right now, but I'm kind of listening to several episodes before I give them like a recommendation on the show. So I'm still working through some new ones. But uh, I watched Kelsey on Prime Video. I've been meaning to do this for a while and despite not being a big football fan, I really enjoyed the documentary because it kind of brings in some behind the scenes of the life of Jason Kelsey, which is the main focus of the documentary. Hmm. He is a lineman, like a center uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. And this was not this season, but last season. So the 2022, 2023 nfl season is what they were uh going through and documenting and during that season he was contemplating retirement spoiler he didn't he played this year but (laughs) but he was going over like all the different things his wife at the time was pregnant they they now have a third daughter but at the time she was very pregnant going into this you know supporting him in the super bowl uh to the point where they were joking about her having the baby during the super bowl and it was a really interesting window into just a really down to earth guy that is at the top of his game. He's regarded as one of the best centers in the league, if not ever. And he's very humble about it. He doesn't like to talk about it, but it's, it was a really, really cool documentary. Uh, It covers, uh, like I said, his 12th season, but it also talks about the really epic face-off between the Eagles And the Chiefs and his brother, Travis, plays for the Chiefs. So you've got two brothers that are, I don't know, they're probably four to five, maybe between two and four years apart, maybe. And they're playing in the Super Bowl against one another. Oh, wow. Yeah. And one of the things that happened out of this was their, their mother, Donna, just ended up being in a lot of the spotlight because she's there to support both her kids (laughs)
1: Oh, I think I did see a clip of that.
0: Yeah, you I'm sure you've seen something on social media because currently Travis, Jason's brother is is dating Taylor Swift. So you've seen Travis somewhere oh, okay. on social yeah, media, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and and as a result, like they're both getting a lot of attention, but for good reason because they're they seem to be really really good guys. And that leads me to the first episode of new heights which is their podcast that they do It's so it's mostly a football podcast but they they go on tangents and they talk about life stuff and they talk about post football stuff and, and other things and they even have a segment now on their show because there's so many people from the taylor swift fandom that are listening to their show because they they want to get to know travis and they don't know anything about football So they have a section in new heights called no dumb questions where people ask like, what's a first down? Like just, but it's cool because like, if you're new to it and you want to, you want to learn
1: should just call it football for Taylor Swift fans.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, they, they, they don't want to necessarily shine a light on that. I know, I know, I know. Uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. And what I like so much about the new heights podcast, which I am listening to, uh, and honestly, I watch it more than I listen to it because it's available on YouTube. They do a video show. And I mean, they have a team, like they've got a producer and I'm sure an editor and all this kind of stuff. They're too busy to do it on their own. They do show up and record it every week, of course. Uh, but what I like so much about it is, is that not only are they brothers, they've obviously known each other their entire lives, but they have a really good relationship. That's nice. That's good. And they seem to have really good relationships with everybody around them. I mean, they, they seem to have really good relationships with their mom and their dad. And, uh, even though I think their parents are divorced, they have. Uh, I mean, watching in the documentary, the relationship between Kylie and, and Jason, her, um, her husband is fantastic. You know, and you get to see Jason with his kids and I just, mm. they just seem like stand up. Um, I think they're from Ohio originally. So like middle America, like they're just really stand up dudes and I like them. Nice. And it's worth, a, it's worth a watch. The documentary is 100% worth it. You don't necessarily have to listen to the podcast to get the kind of, I guess, respect that you would get from watching the documentary. They're really candid in the documentary. They don't pull any punches. There's some hard questions asked. They go into some of the history and it's really, really good. And, uh, yeah, so I would, I would recommend that now on the flip side. I also watched Sly on Netflix, which wasn't very good. And I was expecting that to be a lot better. It feels like it was rushed. Hmm. So this is a documentary about Sylvester Stallone. It was one, I want to say 90 minute doc. And it did feel like it was kind of catching up on the tales of the Arnold documentary mini series, which was three parts that came out over December last year. And I did watch that Arnold was much better. Like the, the series was much better. I think in part because they gave it three episodes, like three hours each with its own part. It was like bodybuilder, actor, governor. Like those were the three Arnold things. And Sly could have had that. He could have had actor, writer, uh, producer. Like he, like you could have separated those things out or father. Like there's a bunch of things that Sly tried to talk about, but a lot of it was just so ham fisted and it's not very uplifting. Now I get Mm -hmm. that you got to be real about it. You don't want to lie. Like if you want a documentary to feel real and, wanting it to be a representation of his hard work and journey. But for whatever reason, you kind of end up feeling sorry for him in a way. Mm. And it's, it's not great. And I think a lot of it is just the editing. Like it's just, they hang on questions too long where he kind of goes silent. You're like, well, why, why are you hanging on this beat? You know, I feel like you could have cut that cleaner after he says something punchy and it would have had a much different feeling. You know, you're on to the next thing, right? And I, I feel like they kind of glazed over it. And a lot of what you get whenever Sly is on camera, is just a lot of the same. Like he, the, the things he's saying at the end of the documentary are very similar to the things that he's saying in the beginning and in the middle, mm. there's bits of information in life beats, but it's oh the overall message is like, you know, he wants to be the good guy and he wants the good guys to win. Like that's kind of what he writes for. Like he, he writes a hero's journey most of the time. And in the Arnold documentary, they didn't pull any punches. Like there's a sit down when Arnold talks about being unfaithful to his wife and how that screwed up his marriage and all these different things and how he's got a son because of that affair and all the stuff that you don't necessarily see whenever, you know, Arnold's on Jimmy Fallon or whatever. And, uh, I was particularly curious about Arnold because he has no book out and I don't see a new book coming from Sly as far as I know but I wouldn't be surprised. You know what I mean? Like it just, it feels like it's yeah. one of those things where like it would be the next move. And I, I would not be nearly as interested having seen the Netflix documentary. So, um, those have been my two big ones. I have some smaller YouTube watches, but before I get into that, I'm curious because documentaries to me seem like the kind of thing that you would be very interested in. Do you, do you watch them on Netflix or prime? Like what, like do do you seek out documentaries? And if so, where do you watch them?
1: Unfortunately it's gonna be a short answer because I don't actually watch very many documentaries. I always I always want to, but I feel like I feel like my day to day is busy enough on my brain that I don't necessarily go to seek out something that has a lot of information in it when I sit down for entertainment. So I, I tend to go for the more you know, more escapism stories and things like that. So it's it's always been one of those things that's on my list to watch, but I never quite unfortunately they're quite get around to it
0: i have to be in the right mood i'll agree with you most of the time i'm wanting to sit down and have some sort of escapism and so if it's too real i tend to not watch it which is funny yeah. to say because documentaries are exactly that they're usually real life but there's something about the messaging behind a documentary if it's about something triumphant or I really enjoy sports documentaries I used to watch a lot of the Michael Jordan docs when I was younger and into basketball and I found them very inspiring because it would be full of highlight reels of him doing just crazy shit (laughs) and so and that's that's that was really cool and and I mean the the Kelsey documentary there was a lot there's a lot of football footage but a lot of it was about the the emotional triumph and the pressures that are on these players that they certainly don't talk about on NFL, like Monday night football, you know, like this, they're talking about stats and effort and physicality and injuries, but they're not necessarily saying like, what's the person's mental state? Like that doesn't come up. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that it was really candid of both, uh, Jason and Travis to talk about that. And they've talked about it since, do they bring it up on their podcast too?
1: Nice.
0: And it's, it's funny because as competitive as it is in that professional league, there's a lot of respect across teams, you know, like players just respect players. As long as you're not a dick, Like you know, they're, they're <laughs> just like, oh yeah. Like you, you talk about like an offensive lineman on another team. And the first thing out of Jason's mouth is like, oh God, that guy's awesome. Like, whoa, I really nice. have to think when I'm on the field against him. Like there's just so much respect across, across the sport, which is really cool to see.
1: And I have to apologize. I make, I'm actually a bit of a liar because I totally forgot that I watched uh, season one and season two of Welcome to Rexham, the uh Oh yes, right. The soccer documentary. Oh the sorry the, the uh European football documentary on Disney Plus with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Ryan, or Rob McElvey's team that they bought. Admittedly I was curious to see how like this came about because they mentioned it on they actually kind of take a little bit of a I make a joke of it on Ted Lasso. And so when when they mentioned that I was I didn't even realize it had happened. So I went. Oh wait, what? And so when it came on Disney Plus, it took me a little while to realize it was there. And so when I was when I did see it, I went and I watched it. And it's you're right though. It's like it's really quite interesting. The the sport aspect of it is, you know it's great and you want them to do well, but it's like the community and the heart and the personal turmoil and then what each of these players are going through. It was quite, it was quite interesting. And I, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I totally blanked on that when you first asked me, but um, it's, it's the kind of probably the only documentary that I've watched in a while, but it's, it's, it was really how it was tied to the community was what I found extremely interesting because that was one of the reasons, I mean, um, Ryan Reynolds gets a lot of kind of, not sure if he gets the credit, but because he's the he's the better known of the two actors, he's the one that gets mentioned a lot of the time. But as, as far as the documentary goes, and I, I'm assuming that it's correct, it's basically uh, Rod McElhaney wanted to he, he loves sports. It was a huge part of him, his life growing up and his relationship with his son. He wanted to kind of impart, you know, he he wanted to kind of do something that was. Had that sort of positive energy, but then, like, it's like they intentionally wanted. He intentionally wanted to find a team that they could help that would improve the community. And so, the Wrexham team was like a perfect example of that. It's the uh, I'm, I'm I'm just remembering it now, so I'm going to mess up parts of it. So it's like the the field, I believe, is the oldest field in the league. The stand and the success of the team is very much tied to sort of how the community was doing or how they were feeling so there's just they they really wanted to come in and basically rescue this team that was in a lower league that shouldn't be it shouldn't be there and they wanted to kind of get them up into the next league so they could actually start making a profit and then if they start making a profit then people kind of spend more money in the local shops and the restaurants and stuff like that so the, the whole you know it's the hollywood engine and people were skeptical skeptical about it but basically the whole push for them to do this was to help the community and help the team be self-sustaining so that you know essentially the two of them the, the the community will feed the team and the team will feed the community and they just sort of keep getting better and better and uh yeah originally it was uh, Rob Maclean and idea and he he said I need some money he said like I need some some Hollywood mo- like Hollywood money well no I'm Hol- basically I'm Hollywood but I need Hollywood movie money not only that I need like <laughs> like alcohol tycoon money and what else does he have oh yeah mobile mobile network money so basically he just he pitched the idea to ryan and said you know when i want to do this and i get the sense that they didn't know each other super well before this and it became like through this they became excellent friends so it was interesting to see the whole team aspect of it the community aspect of it and then how like their relationship as friends and business partners grew as well and all the stress and everything that went along with it so yeah if you haven't if you haven't seen that one it's a fun watch. And it's one of those things that the whole sports story side of it aside, because it's got right and rob in, it. there are parts that are just straight up entertaining as well. So it's, oh, yeah. uh, they, they do a good job. And, and every once in a while they'll actually just, it's almost like they just dedicate an episode to what's going on in one of the players lives. If, if things are just kind of going sideways while they're trying to focus on the game, they'll just say, okay, we'll do an episode on, on this because it's, it is really a big deal in this person's life and, you know, it affects the game. So we, you know, it's, it's, it's related, but it's, it's very much like a, almost like a side story, but related to the main story.
0: Did you see the Dave Letterman interview with Ryan Reynolds?
1: Is that on, um,
0: it was on, uh, it was on his Netflix series, which is called my next guest is, is the name of the show. Right. And he did he did a number of really great interviews. The one with Obama is fantastic, but also uh he did a bunch of Hollywood stars and uh, the Ryan Reynolds one was particularly good. And nice. he's not on the whole time. Like it's you get a little bit of a real look at Ryan Reynolds. You know like the, he's very chill. They did it in his, yeah. in his house. Like they sat down with him at home and did it there oh, wow. as upo- as opposed to on a stage in front of people. So it's a lot more intimate and quiet. And yeah. at some point even Uh, Blake Lively comes in and just like wants to say hi to Dave or something like that. And he kind of like, they stop the interview and they kind of peek around the corner like, hi, I know we think you can't see us, (laughs) but like they kind of call her out for peeking around the corner. It's it's very cute. There's a couple of really fun moments in it like that.
1: Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. I kept meaning to go back and check that show, show out. Anytime I've remembered, it's not been a good time. So I'll have to put that in my, my list of things to watch.
0: So what have you been watching?
1: I've been re-watching, and I guess this is this my this is my theme this week: rereading and re-watching. So, there's a, a show on uh, Netflix called Sweet Home. It's Korean and subtitled, uh, but it's it's based on uh, the webtoon by Karena Kim. Oh, uh, like uh, the, the webtoon has the same name, so it's Sweet Home. Um, uh, essentially, it's pre- kind of creepy, but it, it starts off just somber because this. And after an unexpected family tragedy, this this basically this reclusive high school student, um, yeah, Cha Hyung Soo, I think the name his name is pronounced, played by Song Kang, um, basically is forced to start life on his own. So he's his family dies in a car accident, and he suddenly moves into an apartment and starts his own life, even though he's not ready or mature enough slash old enough to do so and as this and he's you know he's a loner and and he's now depressed because this is going on and but then kind of weird stuff starts happening where he'll hear some, some screaming in some of the apartments and then loud banging and then somebody's at his door asking for help and then starts punching on the door and like really dents it in so it's it's got all of this stuff that makes you really sort of question what's going on but it's it's one of those things that it's almost like a like a zombie movie or something that's apocalyptic in the sense that the world changes very quickly overnight kind of thing where, um, monsters are suddenly everywhere. Um, season two just recently came out. So I think it was uh, December of 2023 and I'd watched season one a while ago. I think it, yeah, it came out in 2020. Um, and, and I, and I had watched it because I'd already read the comic book. So it's, uh, it's good, but I wanted. I'm, I'm rewatching it as a refresher so that I'm basically caught up for season two because the the webtoon essentially takes you from the beginning of season one to sort of the end of season one. But they changed something so that they could actually prolong the story. In the in the webtoon, once it ended, it just kinda It kind of came to its natural closure at the end, or or it came to a point where it ended, but left the story sort of at this. Still a bit creepy, but basically it left you a little bit hopeful as to what the next story, what the next step in the story could be. But in the in the the TV series, it just it took a, a different direction, very much setting season one up for a season two. So, so I don't know what's going to happen in season two because it's it's sort of uh yeah, it's it's taken that that different direction. But yeah, so it's uh it's good. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. So if if you know you like kind of creepiness in your in your storylines and you don't mind mind subtitles it's it's a it's pretty interesting so it's a basically what happens with their their monsters roaming in the apartment after a little while and they're trying to have them you know get rid of them the survivors within the apartment are on lockdown they don't all like each other bit of a survival of the fittest thing um some of them are going stir crazy and want to go out some people want to keep everybody in so it's it's got some you know some familiar i guess storylines from other shows and and uh in comics and stuff like that, but it's not, I enjoyed it and I'm uh, looking forward to finishing up so I can get on to season two.
0: Do you classify it as horror?
1: I guess I don't, but it could be like, it's not gore horror.
0: Right. Like horror adventure, more like stranger things maybe.
1: Yeah. And, and there is, there are kind of gory bits to it, but it's not like thrasher gore right? all the time, all the way through there. There are some parts that, that get that way a little bit. But it doesn't feel as horrorish as well because it's. I don't know if they did it because of budget or if it was just stylistic choice. But when they have the monsters or like uh, they have they have some ch- physical changes in some of the characters, it's it almost looks like it's done slightly stop motion like like it's a uh, mm-hmm. the frames aren't as smooth as the live action stuff. So characters and monsters look scary and creepy, but it doesn't it's not photorealistic scary so it almost has this 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 i don't know this with this weird fantasy it almost takes the real life acting and has this illustrative layer to it i can't think of a better way so it's there's just it's this treatment that when i first saw it i thought, like ah oh, this is kind of a shame that it's not as high quality as the rest of it but it's it felt like it fit after a little while but it it's, so it makes it less scary in a horror sense but then kind of it still keeps the whole the whole vibe creepy Maybe that's it. It's like, it's continues to be creepy throughout, but it doesn't feel ever horror scary. It's not scary. I guess I never found it scary. Just creepy.
0: I've seen that a lot with, uh, folks that I follow, not necessarily because I watch horror movies, but folks that I follow for other reasons that are into horror movies. Mm -hmm. And when they talk about Japanese horror movies, they usually talk about how creepy they are. They're, they're meant to kind of give you the, the heebie jeebies as opposed to like jump you out of your chair or be super gory and and offensive it's more about like things moving in a weird way you know like they film a film a character walking backwards and then they play it forwards in the movie and it's the weight is all off and there's these weird stutters and it just it just it looks it breaks the uncanny valley a bit in the same way that if a video game character is kind of twitching it kind of it's it's weird you know like it really kind of sets you off
1: yeah it makes your skin crawl a little bit as opposed to leaving you yeah so yeah but it's interesting though i mean i've watched not that I've watched a ton of Korean shows, but a, a lot of the ones I've watched, are they usually have like, they don't go into a second season, so I was surprised this one sort of set itself up to do that. It's the, the The model that I've seen that's the most common is that a show is 16 episodes and that's it. It's usually 15 episodes of storyline and then a 16th episode that is like an epilogue. So it just, you know, after the story's done this is where all the characters are a year later, which is, which I found interesting because I, you know, no North American shows do that. It's just when it ends, that's how it ends where, um, probably half dozen of the shows I've Korean shows I've watched. end in this sort of 16 episode fashion, but there's been a couple of them lately. That's maybe it's just because of, I don't know, maybe North American influence or because, you know, these Netflix originals now, where Netflix is like hey can we get a second season so maybe maybe they plan it differently now that it's it's um, instead of it being a korean show that is 416 episodes on a korean network that then gets picked up by Netflix and they if if they're like Netflix or prime or whatever original series now where it's sort of planned around being you know making as much money off of this storyline as possible maybe that's sort of changed change the, the way that they structure the story. I don't know, but yeah, quite like them. Every time I watch a Korean show, I'm like, I have to learn this language now. <laughs> I, would, I would love to learn Korean and I don't have a good reason other than I would like to be able to watch a show without subtitles on and understand what they're saying.
0: Anything else on the watch list?
1: We were thinking about talking about it last week if we had time, or last month if we had time, but I saw Echo on Disney+ earlier in the year. So let's try to get that in. I knew it was coming and I wanted to get it in before my <laughs> Disney Plus subscription ends. So I've, I've got another 10 days. If there's any, if anybody's got any shows worth recommending that I can fit it within the next 10 days, let me know. <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, over, overall, um, overall, I like the show. I actually should say, overall, I liked the story, but I, I don't know. The show kind of fell apart a little bit, felt short of what I feel like It could have been, if that makes sense. Like the the story was decent and I like the character and I like, I like the backstory. Then we get to find out more about Maya Lopez, but that just the way the show was put together, felt like it was cobbled together as a poor, as opposed to a a finished product.
0: I would agree. I think it has some pacing issues when it was going well, it was going very well. And then they would give you something else without any explanation as to why it was important basically they would pump the brakes with something that was not a Marvel superhero backstory. And you're like, what, but this is not why I'm here. And it would be different if they led you there. If they said, Oh, well, here's what she's thinking. This is why this is important. The problem is that she, the only time you hear anything from echo is via sign language and subtitles. And so, She's never really having long emotional conversations. It's all very to the point, which is like her, she's kind of gruff at the beginning yeah. of, of the series anyway.
1: Yeah, the rating doesn't give her much to do other than be gruff for the for the better part of the show, unfortunately, because l- later on, I think she gets a chance gets a chance to shine a little bit more. To
0: the point when even in like one of the episodes, it wasn't the end. It was like the middle. I can't remember who she's joking around with. I think it was her uncle or grandfather, maybe. And mm. he makes a joke and she laughs. And I was like, oh my gosh, she can smile yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the rest of the time she's just, I mean, it's fine. Cause she's dealing with Kingpin and she's running for her life and beating people up and being shot at. So like, she's does not have a reason to smile. I, you know, that's fair. Uh, yeah, but, but not even when she sees old friends, when they make jokes, like she's just dead, like deadpan the whole time. Yeah. And so it was hard without that, uh, to, to gauge kind of where her mind was at. And, and the other thing is that she could have been making facial expressions, but I have to read. Like, I can't, there's one thing that I know that it's sign language and they, it was cool that they did it. It was cool that they were authentic to that. But, when I'm reading the bottom of the screen, I'm not looking at faces, and that's why yeah. I don't watch subtitled movies a lot of the time. It's why I don't watch anime with subtitles, even though the dubs sometimes drive me nuts. But like I just <laughs> i yeah. I do find like it's just it's so hard to keep up on both. And I'm sure lots that of that is on me. I'm not a fast reader. And I will say that the subtitles I'm curious to get your feedback on this. I think it was echo. They were ugly. like it was really not the best use of subtitles i'm pretty sure it was like white text with a black box behind it but then there was no buffer like there was no space no no padding around everything and it's like it's a dark show why is there black behind it like just put the white letters up on screen like everybody else does like it it seemed like it was such a weird like i thought for the first bit of it's it like do i have the subtitles turned on like am i watching the subtitles that the show is giving me as part of the right. show? Or do I have Disney like assisted subtext, like subtitles on, and it's giving me that instead because these are ugly and that's happened number of times, actually over, uh, Netflix, there was another movie I watched recently that had that. Um, I had a couple of Netflix shows that would show like some, no, it wasn't Netflix. Sorry. It was prime. It's watching reach around prime. And there's, uh, people speaking different languages. And and they switch out to different languages, and sometimes they give you subtitles, and sometimes they don't. And it's like, but
1: oh, with Prime, do you know what the thing was with Prime? If you have subtitles turned on, weirdly enough, when somebody's talking in a different language, it won't show the subtitles. But then, if you turn subtitles off, you won't get subtitles for English, but you'll get the subtitles for the different languages that they're talking in the show. So, like, if if you've got yeah. one of them turned on, you don't get the other one, which is really really unfortunate setup.
0: Oh yeah, no, that's just terrible design. I know I've certainly been in situations where I know the subtitles are off. I think this was actually Netflix and the some people are speaking like Russian and you get subtitles and then in another scene, they're speaking Russian and you don't get subtitles. I'm just like, so I backed it up. i like, I'm searching Reddit. Like, is there, is this, is it me? Like, is it Netflix? And some people say it's an error. Some people think that that's just, that's how the subtitles came with that show. Either way, like, how do you watch that and give it a stamp of approval and say, yeah, that's good for people that don't speak Russian (laughs) because you're watching like, you know, a spy drama or an action film and like these two Russian guys are shouting at each other and it's obviously like important. It's, it could be plot information for all we know, you know, in terms of a spy movie and we're just, we're getting nothing. It's it's just stupid. You know, I I really wish they would, they would fix that and you'd think that that would be an easier thing to do in terms of, look, if it's got subtitles, then everything should have subtitles. Like if you have the, the hearing impaired subtitles on, then even noises like dramatic music playing, like they they have the description, you know, and yeah. happening as well. And if they can do that, but then they forget like, oh, I don't know the actor that's speaking Russian on screen. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. There's certainly some things where, on streaming, when that happens, I think, why am I paying $24 a month for this? (laughs) Like just, you have enough money. We all know you have enough money to fix this. You're just lazy and people have nowhere else to go.
1: I guess to go back to your question though, I, I didn't really notice it, but it's possible because we often have, we often have subtitles on when we watch TV just because, uh, Oh, I see the nature of our television. We turn it down so that the action's not crazy loud but then it means the dialogue slow. So sometimes like most shows for whatever reason, when we have the volume loud enough for dialogue to be um, like to a, to a point where we can hear it, then an action sequence kicks in and it's just, it's far too loud. So we're constantly, we're either up and down with the volume, depending on what's going on, going on in the scene, or we've just, we've actually just gotten into the habit of having uh, subtitles on most of the time. So it's, it's possible that the subtitles, um, the, um, the system subtitles may have over, over, uh, wrote the ones that were in the show. So we were always, I, I didn't notice any kind of black, awkward subtitles.
0: I've watched a lot of stuff in the last month. It could just be a different show that I'm, mm. that I'm thinking of. But, uh, overall, I, I thought it was good. I liked the action. It was good to see Daredevil make an appearance. I mean, s- yeah, slight, that was a good fight spoilers. Scene. Yeah. For people that haven't watched it, but it's like in the first, like, 20 minutes or something it was a good fight scene it was cool to see him not in yellow um (laughs) and it's a good tease for maybe daredevil born again which they're currently filming i think and obviously d'onofrio being back as kingpin the the only thing about that i don't know (laughs) that bugged me i like him in it what i don't like is the fact that she shot him in the face and he's alive like, yeah, I, I don't understand how you shoot him in the eyeball and he's <laughs> not dead because they don't give you any, any insight into like, cause the Kingpin is supposed to be super strong, but he's not a superhero. Like he doesn't have superpowers. He's just supposed yep. to be a very dense, very strong, very wealthy individual. That's just a pain in the ass for a lot of heroes in New York in the Marvel comics. And, and even if he isn't like, even if he is someone that has powers, you have to explain that to the audience that hasn't read the comics that
1: knows that. He shows up with a bandage, a bandage over his eye. Yeah. (laughs) He shows up with a bandage over his eye. And I went, pause. Can you survive being shot (laughs) directly? Right to Google. Can you survive being shot directly in the face? And you can apparently. But I'm like, and still have his eye. Like he, yeah, his eye is just discolored. And they don't even say that he can't see it of it or whatever. So it looks like he was barely injured. So then I paused it again once I saw him later with the band and i'm like yeah is kingpin a superhero or have super abilities like there's there's nothing that made me believe that he should have been standing there i am 100 with you on that it was just
0: yeah i think that in a way marvel is scrambling a bit and i think that they maybe pardon the pun overshot with the end of hawkeye and and didn't necessarily think ahead to what the villain was going to be in echo and then i think they decided to bring it back and it could be something as simple as that they thought donofrio was done end of contract you know maybe he said he wasn't interested and then they somehow convinced him to come back and now they basically have to write it in and i it felt very wb very cw Arrowverse flash stuff where like people Die and leave, and like, well, you know they're coming back because their name is still in the credits. like just stuff like that just bothers me. it's It's weak. It doesn't have any courage. Like if you had killed Kingpin, granted it would be a loss of a really cool villain for the Marvel Universe. but like if they had killed Kingpin and brought Echo to replace him in the Marvel Universe, that would have been interesting, right? Yeah. But then she's a hero in the book, so they don't want to do that either.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't remember the timeline of the shows being announced and whatnot, but it's possible, and I, I could be wrong, that maybe they determined that they were going to bring um, Daredevil back, that they wanted to have Kingpin in it. And so maybe it was like, oh, well, we killed him, but maybe we didn't really, so we need to bring him back in order to be able to have him in Daredevil, but I don't know. It still just made me shake my head when he came back with barely a scratch.
0: I liked a lot of the stuff in her hometown with the different characters and slowly getting to know the reason she left and the animosity there and how now that she's back you know that she's going to have to turn a new leaf because as as bad guys are coming for her she's now has people that she cares about that are in danger and so she has to be like her conscience gets the better of her she she basically drives away but then has to turn around and be like crap like I kind of have to go do this so that these idiots don't like kill people that I actually care about despite the fact that I've been denying that I care about them this entire show so um and 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 I like that in a in the daredevil way like she can get hurt and she then has to like deal with that and can't go to a hospital because then that detracts attention and like she's trying not to be found and if she goes in with like a knife wound or a gunshot wound then they're going to ask questions so she has to get help from somebody else that's like maybe not necessarily the most lawful person in the area but obviously someone from her community who she trusts and grew up with and there's all this kind of back and forth and i like how the sign language is continued throughout that like when she's talking with people that grew up with her that were her friends they would all know how to sign because they wanted to talk to her right yeah and so when when she comes back they are yelling at her for screwing up and using sign language as they give us the information verbally but they're also signing to her
1: i thought, i liked how they used it as well to sort of kind of do these little kind of secret communiques back and forth so that mm-hmm. you know even though they were questionable characters there were more questionable characters that they were trying to you know trying to sneak messages past and it worked really well. I thought it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. They didn't speak lang sign language and she'd be signing something and just like, what did she just say? Oh, she was asking about like, how long are we going to be here? When she said like, hit this guy in the head when he turns around or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I like, I like that too. I also like the action sequence at the roller derby where she basically cranked the sound system and use that to her advantage well everybody's just like they can't talk to one another yeah. they're just in pain from how loud it is and she's just like i can't hear shit <laughs> yeah. so th- this is fine a walk in the park i thought that was a nice touch yeah it was it was good yeah. and they do a lot of really good stuff with um not necessarily silence but like that underwater kind of echoey noise to indicate when things are supposed to be from echoes perspective yeah so if it was just dead silent it wouldn't be very communicable but because they give you that kind of muffled thing even though we know she's deaf it just kind of gives you that oh, okay this is where like we're meant from, to from her perspective f- from her perspective yeah. yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and one thing i liked about the show but i guess the th- what yeah one of the things i liked about the show or what they tried to do with the show but i felt like that's the for me the main thing that didn't land it almost starts off at the beginning of each episode. We learn a little bit about Maya's uh, Choctaw uh, nation roots, and bit by bit, we kind of see her blood, her her character's bloodline connection to the original Choctaw ancestors. Sorry, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but and I thought that that was interesting, but it was so like how it was shared just was so clunky. Like it was almost like it was a separate, like some of them they even treated like, oh, this is going to be like a Western. And it was just like this weird little show at the beginning that didn't, in any obvious way, tie to the storyline of that episode. And they did that at the beginning of, I don't remember if it was every episode or almost every episode, but.
0: No, they started about halfway through and that was where they pumped the brakes for me. That was just like, what? Like I was excited to see what was going to happen next. And now I have to sit through 10 minutes of this. And it was the kind of thing where if they had just done a proper modern flashback to convey the information to you, it would have been so much easier to watch. Yeah. Just do it full color, film it, have the characters talk to one another. Sure. Maybe use their, their native language and put some subtitles up. That's fine. But like, just give it to me straight. Don't take this like silent film angle. That was painful. Yeah. Where they'd have to stop the action show you a black card with the dialogue that was just said like it was really old school and it it didn't do anything for the storytelling it felt really disjointed
1: yeah and if anything for me i felt like it cheapened mm-hmm. the truck toss story like it was like why are why are we doing that why aren't we being being more i can't really think of the right word not solemn but giving it give give it its due because it's an important part of her character and and you yeah. find out at the end that all of these little bits and pieces that they were showing actually are important because all of the main characters in those side tales were her ancestors. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes she has a connection back to the original Choctaw sort of mythical, almost like magical source that is part of her. And so I thought that was neat. And it sort of, it gives her character like that extra you know superhero storyline mm-hmm. edge to it, which is interesting. But I just, I felt like, and, and, and then I wanted it so bad for it to, to work as well because I know that um, uh, Alakwa Cox is her first her first role and you know it's very few um, Indigenous or Native Canadian Native American shows that are out there so if I really wanted this to, to kind of land well mm-hmm. from a story perspective but I just uh, like I should say like the story part of it I enjoy but I just the actual um, the final product I didn't feel that it landed unfortunately
0: yeah the execution of the actual episodes was clunky whereas (laughs) you can take portions of every episode and go that was some cool shit like that was you know it was it felt very marvel there was humor there was it wasn't it wasn't the kind of humor i don't like it wasn't um Thor, love and thunder humor you know like it was (sighs) it was it was goofy guy that doesn't want to wreck his grandmother's truck you know like it was it was those kind of friends that haven't grown up at a high school being goofy, humor, not yeah, exactly. You know that, and they're and they're so naive to the fact that there's danger around. Right? They're just they're just driving down the you know the forest road with their dog. Like, all right, I guess we go this way. Wait a minute, she's on the train. What's going on? And there was some very cool action sequences. And not to glaze over it, she's also missing a leg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As a disabled action star who is also deaf, both the actor and the character just killing it like you don't feel that it's any less octane than anything else if anything it it adds some trauma to it like there's a i remember a sequence on the train when she's trying to jump from one car to the other and her leg gets caught in the the buckle between the cars
1: Mm. and
0: in your head you're like like if it was anything else it would be like someone's pant leg Right. Or shoelace, but like, no, it's her whole metal leg. It's like yeah. stuck. And so, and she can't get rid of the whole thing. Cause then she doesn't have anything to stand on at all. And she still has to run and jump. And like, there's all these different things. And th- then her, I think it's a grandfather has to build her a new one, but it takes time. So he has to give her like this cobbled together temporary <laughs> <laughs> fix, which I thought was yeah, great. That was pretty funny. Yeah. And then at the end she gets, she gets a replacement, the final replacement. And it's like covered in cool first nations shapes and decor and it feels very important like it feels yeah. sentimental it feels like he did something special with it and and they kind of give him like a little bit of a guy in the chair vibe with like he's good with tech like he he probably did some stuff to it that means it'll be fun for her and he, he kind of likes the idea of her being a superhero even though it's never mentioned she never talks about it like it's that's not what they talk about but he's just like I'm just going to, I'm going to make this extra special because I, I see you go in places like that kind of a vibe. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was good. Moving into the internet minute, which is brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server that's shared with my personal Discord, and access to Barista Cut bonus audio sessions. Those are the extended version of the podcast. Whenever we have time to record a little extra audio, you get access to those. Special thanks to Bean Counter patrons, Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you ever so much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 26. That's down from the last time. Our goal each episode is to add one more patron. If you'd like to be patron number twenty-seven, visit patreon.com/thecitadelcafe. True to form and keeping with a running streak, I have <laughs> unofficial LEGO news. So it's not real LEGO news; it's unofficial LEGO news. But this is near and dear to me because I have currently an existing LEGO set that this would go very well with. So mm. there is a rumor or a leak. Take it as you will that the Lego UCS TIE Interceptor will be coming to consumers on May 4th, which is a Lego event day, Star Wars day. Lego always does some cool stuff with Star Wars Lego on that day. So this is the really large sets. I've got the X-Wing. I've got the UCS X-Wing that came out last year. I bought it. Uh, the same time of year, I bought it for my birthday, but I waited for it to come out on like May 1st or May 4th or whatever it was available. I think actually it was May 4th for everyone, but May 1st for me, cause I'm a VIP on lego.ca. Mm. Anyway, this looks very, very cool. Tie interceptors yeah. are the tie fighters that have like the slits down the the wings. They have like a pointy, more aggressive look to it. And it would be roughly the right size to sit next to the, the X-wing that I currently have on one side of my television. And there's the shuttle (laughs) discovery is on the other side. So it's not like the television is lonely, but a tie interceptor would look magical there. So if, (laughs) if that gets confirmed, then that is more than likely what I'm going to be getting myself for my birthday, because it looks a lot better than the tie fighter. There's a tie fighter UCS from a few years ago, and it just wasn't there. Like it just, it felt like a very weird shape. And Mm -hmm. I thought that the playset tie fighter looked better. And so that's the one that I have. I've got a TIE fighter up on my bookshelf, but it's just a little one. Like it's just a little place at minifig scale. And uh, I'm very much interested to see how this one comes together because it looks like it has a lot of detail. And I really liked the way that the UCS X-Wing went together. So this would be very much high on my list. We'll have a link to the 9 to 5 Toys article that talks about this in the show notes this week. And there's a couple of images as to what it could look like. So I'm excited for it. Very cool. And that wraps up this episode of The Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on social media. Subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The RSS feed is linked on the show notes available on thecitadelcafe.com. But word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show just tell friends about the citadel cafe and where they can go to listen to it my name is joel duggan you can find everything that i am doing online at joelduggan.com that includes my other podcast about minecraft called the Sponge chunks we have a new episode coming out every monday join me in pixel riffs as we talk about minecraft news and latest snapshots follow me at joel duggan on social media and joel duggan on twitch where i stream at least three days a week right now focusing on finishing up west hill my giant build on the citadel minecraft server steven where can people find you online
1: most frequently i'm on twitch at twitch.tv slash steven ese again steven with a ph hope to see you there
0: you've been listening to the citadel cafe where we are fast easy and cheap but you can only pick two